Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Attorney General William Barr faced Capitol Hill this week. The topic in question? Barr's role in the release of Robert Mueller's special counsel investigation report. When Mueller's report reached no conclusion on whether or not President Trump obstructed justice, Barr stepped in, in late March, to make that decision instead. Barr publicly declared that Trump did not commit criminal obstruction, but his choice has come under scrutiny in the weeks since, most loudly by Democrats in Congress who say he mischaracterized the report's findings. And so, in this aftermath of the Mueller report release, Barr testified at the Republican-controlled Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday. So the bottom line is, we're about to hear from Mr. Barr the results of a two-year investigation into the Trump campaign, all things Russia, the actions the president took before and after the campaign. That hearing was contentious. Perhaps they've suggested. I don't know. I wouldn't say suggest. Hinted. I I don't know. Inferred. You don't know. Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse even called Barr's responses masterful hair-splitting. Now, the attorney general was also scheduled to testify Thursday in front of the Democratic-controlled House Judiciary Committee, but he didn't show up. Barr's tense Senate hearing and his refusal to testify before the House adds to a conversation about his performance as our nation's top law enforcement official. Democrats argue that Barr has chosen to defend the president rather than work in service of the American people. For Barr, though, it seems that he sees himself upholding the office of the attorney general as it's intended. So which one is it? And how do Barr's views on presidential power inform his decision making around investigations, specifically investigations into his boss, the president of the United States? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. As the Senate hearing unfolded this week and presented questions about how the attorney general fulfills his role, I wanted to talk to an expert on all things Justice Department. So I asked Post reporter Devlin Barrett to come back on the show. Devlin covers the Justice Department for The Washington Post. Before we get into the actual news out of this week's hearings, can you explain to me why William Barr's appointment as attorney general and his actions since have been met with some controversy over whether or not he makes independent judgments? Right. So there's a couple things you have to understand about how Barr came into the job to understand why people are so skeptical of how he's doing his job now. Mm-hmm. And key among those is a memo he wrote as a private lawyer before he was the attorney general, basically laying out a 20-page argument against what he viewed as special counsel Mueller's theory of obstruction by the president. It's, it's basically a, a pretty dense legal document, but it also is a really strongly worded attack on what he viewed as Mueller's legal theory of investigating the president. And because he wrote that memo, a lot of Democrats and, frankly, some lawyers who aren't necessarily Democrats are skeptical about Barr coming 
to the question of Mueller's findings with, you know, clean hands or a clear mind and no bias. So everything that's happened since, a lot has only sort of exacerbated some of that skepticism and concern. And certainly what you saw at the hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee was a great deal of accusation and confrontation. Basically, Barr was accused repeatedly of lying to them in one form or another and and being, you know, the president's defense lawyer in some fashion. Based on that memo and his actions sort of leading up to this week's hearings, do we have a sense that Barr has pretty strong convictions about how an attorney general and a president should interact? Yes. Barr clearly believes very much that there are many ways in which it's perfectly appropriate and proper for a president to instruct the attorney general in the course of their work. But in some ways more important to the Mueller investigation and that those findings, Barr said over and over again that he basically has a legal view of the president's conduct that is very helpful to the president in the sense that Barr believes that if a president is doing taking an act that the Constitution authorizes him to take, mm-hmm. and as we'll just pick as an example, firing James Comey when he was the FBI director, that there is a very high legal hurdle to clear to show that an otherwise legal act could somehow have a corrupt intent and corrupt purpose when it's something the Constitution explicitly authorizes uh, the president to do. I think he has a very strong and forceful view of presidential authority. And that's not unique to Barr necessarily. That's That's mm-hmm. been a staple of conservative legal circles for decades, going back to, frankly, both uh, Bush administrations. It's not that surprising that Barr would approach questions of presidential authority that way, mm-hmm. um, given both his resume and his you know career. But he definitely has a very strong view of presidential power and presidential authority. And that interacts with the Mueller investigation in some interesting ways. Okay, so let's talk about how we saw that interaction play out this week. First Wednesday, Barr testified to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Leading up to Wednesday's hearing, Barr had been criticized for the Mueller report release. Why and which of his actions have really driven the criticism here? So he was criticized right out of the gate pretty much by Democrats for what they felt was downplaying the seriousness of Mueller's findings. The the sequence to keep in mind here is that when the Mueller report was submitted to Attorney General Barr in March, within a couple of days, the Attorney General issued a four-page letter describing essentially the top-line conclusions. And a lot of Democrats were skeptical of that because they felt that Barr's wording seemed very forgiving of the president and very exonerative of the president, even though there was a sentence in that letter that said Mueller's findings did not exonerate the president on the question of obstruction of justice. What we now know because of this letter that was publicly revealed is that Mueller himself had concerns about what Barr had done and wanted Barr to release the summaries of his findings at least while Barr was doing his review of the entire document. Obviously, Barr disagreed and wouldn't do that. And there was both a letter and a phone call where those two guys hashed out their differences on this. But Barr didn't budge. Barr stuck to what he wanted to do and he did it uh, despite Mueller's complaints. So Barr mentioned this basically in the hearing when he said that Mueller's work concluded when he sent his report to the attorney general. And at that point, it was my baby. Right. He later said it was my decision how and when to make it public, not Bob Mueller's. What do these statements reflect about how Barr saw his role here? Well, Barr has argued two things very forcefully. One, it is the Justice Department's duty and job to make a decision whether people committed crimes. 
Mueller's report lays out a great deal of evidence of possible obstruction of justice by the president and then says, but because he is a sitting president and for reasons of Justice Department legal policy and basic fairness in, in Justice Department practice, uh, it would be inappropriate for, for me, the special counsel, to make any determination about whether the president committed obstruction. Barr takes a very different view and thinks that's not right at all and says, no, it is the department's job to make a, tr- make a decision. And if the special counsel won't do it, the attorney general will. And so he decided that the, uh, the president had not committed obstruction. And so that is a difference in legal opinion and that reflects the degree to which Barr believes he has the complete and total authority to make that call. Now, Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono told Barr during the hearing, her quote was, you've chosen to be the president's lawyer and side with him over the interests of the American people. Let's talk about whether or not this is the case. Where is the line for the attorney general supposed to be when it comes to defending the president versus defending the American people? Uh, A lot of people have a lot of arguments about that. (laughs) I think the shorthand answer is, generally speaking, the line is the president is not supposed to engage or be involved or interfere uh, with criminal investigations of individuals, that the president is not supposed to be able to tell an attorney general go after this person or or go after that person or stop going after this person or stop going after that person. That is generally considered an inappropriate use of power and some would call it abuse of power. Or particularly stop going after me. Right. Stop (laughs) particularly stop going after me. Exactly. Interestingly, Barr said a couple of times in the hearing before the Senate that the president was within his rights to want someone else to be the special counsel. That, you know, one of the issues that came up in Mueller's investigation is after the Washington Post reported that the president was under investigation for obstruction, the president apparently went on a, a bit of a binge of activity that could be argued was obstruction. He told his White House counsel, I want Mueller gone because he has a conflict of interest. Barr has a really interesting approach to that. Barr argues that wanting the special counsel gone for a conflict of interest is not the same thing as interfering with the investigation because in theory, another special counsel would be appointed and the work would continue. I don't think the Mueller report, frankly, envisions that scenario or or buys into that scenario mm-hmm. based on what the witnesses that they have. Um, and so anyway, the, the point is that most government lawyers would tell you that the president is not supposed to get involved in the mechanics of criminal investigations. Now, there have been times when presidents have asked very broadly for an investigation of, for example, an industry or a particular activity in the economy that they find troubling and possibly, you know, violating of of some laws. That does happen and people don't raise much of a stink about that when it does happen. But it's, it's generally considered a very different thing if a White House official would say, Sally Smith uh, should be investigated. Mm-hmm. And that because that has the, the patina of an, of an order. And, and that, that's viewed as an abuse of power by a lot of lawyers. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. 
the Dems clearly view some of this as an abuse of power, and they also offer reasons why Barr might not be fulfilling his role to serve the American people as attorney general. And this really escalated on Thursday when Barr decided not to show up for a a House Judiciary Committee hearing. So first, why why did Barr not show up? So that hearing sort of fell apart over an argument about who would question the attorney general. Mm -hmm. It's general practice in Congress these days that lawmakers do the questioning of witnesses. For this particular hearing, the committee planned to have committee staff lawyers question the attorney general for part of the time. Barr took issue with that. Basically, the Justice Department's argument is we're co-equal branches of government. You know, I'm here to answer lawmakers' questions. If a staffer wants to ask questions, they can ask one of my staffers. Now, it is true that in the in past decades, it was much more common for witnesses to be questioned by staff lawyers, but that's something that Congress has moved away from for a long time. Mm-hmm. And look, the relationship between the Barr Justice Department and the House Judiciary Committee as led by Democratic Chairman Jerry Nadler is terrible. They don't trust each other. Neither side feels the other is, is negotiating a good faith. There's a very low level of trust between those two sides. So it's not, frankly, that surprising that that hearing didn't come off. And we'll see how much worse that relationship gets as this goes on because the, the committee is threatening subpoena or contempt and it's it, it'll probably get uglier. So Barr's failure to show up for the House Judiciary Committee is not necessarily a supportive data point that Barr is in a defensive position of the president. I would, I would say Barr is in a defensive position of himself and the department. Mm-hmm. And what he and Justice Department officials have said in various ways is that they think that the committee is is just going after them, that, that this is about trying to get a pound of flesh out of the Justice Department. And look, for the last two, three, or four years, depending on how you count, Justice Department has been an increasingly worse position related to Congress. Uh, and, you know, it's that started really with the Clinton investigation, although there were other issues that, that predated that. I think there's a clear evolution from the Clinton email investigation to the Trump-Russia investigation of justice and being just under siege from Congress uh, for how it's handling cases. So do we necessarily have any indication that President Trump told Barr not to testify? No, we don't. Uh, And we don't know. We don't we just don't know whether such a conversation happened. I will say this. Barr has shown himself so far. He's only been on the job about 11, 12 weeks. He has shown himself so far to be a fairly headstrong individual. So I don't think he necessarily needed that kind of direction Mm -hmm. um, to decide what to do, especially since he was at a hearing uh, on Wednesday, but we don't know. Now, I ask this because there's a case being made that the White House is thwarting all congressional investigations. Right. I mean, look, this fight has been going on for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I do think there's connections between the two, right? You know, part of what's happening is Nadler's committee, the House Judiciary Committee, has demanded a ton of information from all sorts of places, all of which in theory could lead to, you know, more bad information about the president or those close to him. So there is a connection in all these things. But I think really what's happening with Barr is fairly unique to the Mueller report, the Mueller investigation, and how Barr has handled handled that report before it became public. Okay. So then can an attorney general just refuse to testify? Temporarily, sure. Mm-hmm. But in the real world, eventually comes a subpoena. And even if you were to argue the merits of the subpoena in court, the courts are pretty reluctant to do anything beyond just urge both sides to reach a deal. What tends to happen in all these situations, even when people are hot and angry like they are now, what tends to happen is at some point each side realizes 
co-equal branches of government, we're going to have to be in the same room at some point. We're going to have to come to some kind of understanding, even if it's painful for one or both sides. Okay, so then as Barr comes under this fire from Democrats, I guess the big question is, does this tension reflect an unusual exercise of powers of the attorney general to protect the president? Or is this within the bounds of how this job goes, maybe exacerbated by his legal views on presidential power in general? No, look, these debates have existed before the Trump administration. You know, mm-hmm. there were there were arguments about whether or not back during the Obama administration, there were arguments about whether or not the attorney general at the time, Eric Holder, was too close to the president, was too much the president's political ally as opposed to, you know, deputy managing the, the, the law enforcement function. What's happened now, though, is that these arguments are, all, you know, those were side art battles in, in the politics of D.C. during the Obama administration. This is really front and center. Mm-hmm. This is the, the central fight going on around the Trump administration between Congress and the White House. So they have intensified, but the actual debate, the actual issues involved are not, not that new. So is there an inherent conflict of interest then built into this role of the attorney general in service to both the American people and the president himself? Absolutely. I, the way I think of it is the attorney general basically wears two hats. One is as a senior cabinet official, a senior advisor, senior deputy to the president. You work for the president when you're the attorney general. But the second element, the second hat, is that you are the nation's top law enforcement official. And you have to run that part of your gov- of the government in a way that has public credibility so people think decisions are being made fairly and without political uh, influence or interference. And you have to actually – not just so the public sees it, but you actually have to do it inside the building in a way that the, the agents and prosecutors and everyone involved in the work has, has faith and confidence that you in fact are not putting a political thumb on the scale of the administration of justice. That's a very important principle of our entire government. But the attorney general has to straddle those two things. And so there's always going to be an argument about is, is the, this attorney general leaning too far this way or, or too far that way? That happens a lot. So even an attorney general trying to avoid being involved in the political climate might find himself sort of thrown into there and then under the scrutiny of both parties. Right. And and Barr is an interesting case, too, because remember, Barr was the attorney general more than 20 years ago in a previous administration. And he did a kind of amazing oral history after that time in which he said, you know, I always thought of – this is him talking, obviously. He said, I always thought of the attorney general job as one where – Part of your responsibility, part of your loyalty to the president is to keep certain things away from the president, Mm -hmm. to just handle your business on your own so that no one could ever charge that you were doing something nefarious on the president's behalf. And and he expressed an interesting notion that for a lot of things, you're doing the president a favor by just keeping him out of it. Do you think his actions have reflected that belief? Well, I think this one is so much different than the type of stuff he dealt with then that it's that it's it's hard to make an apples to apples comparison. You know, he actually did deal with independent counsel investigations and in Iran Contra, and he dealt with a bunch of tough, politically sensitive investigations. But this sort of landed in his lap. He he picked up the Mueller investigation at the tail end when everyone understood that the president was under investigation and that the consequences of that investigation could be in theory, catastrophic for the president himself. That is a Hurricane 5 type problem Mm -hmm. uh, to inherit. And that's what he got. All right. Treading new territory then. All right, Devlin, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. 
This has been another episode of Can He Do That? And as always, if you liked it, let us know. Share it where you share stuff. Keep listening wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a review. Send us an email. And again, thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the inquisitive Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Riddell Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.